Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. headline from time. Eight earthquakes strike along the Iran-Iraqi border. A series of eight earthquakes hits the Iran-Iraq border area and rattled Baghdad on Thursday, apparent aftershocks of the timbler that struck the mountainous region in November and killed over 530 people. Four people suffered minor injuries in Iran, state television reported. Ladies and gentlemen, all the earthquakes struck within an hour of each other, beginning at 6.59 General Mountain Time. Six had a preliminary magnitude of at least five, while two registered four. Scientists consider earthquakes of magnitude five as moderate. Ladies and gentlemen, all the earthquakes struck at a depth of six miles, according to the USGS. Earthquakes of magnitude 5 can cause considerable damage. The timber also all were very shallow, which causes more ground shaking and potential damage, particularly in places without strict building codes. This is all harboring back to the November earthquake. It is mentioned multiple times in this article, ladies and gentlemen, multiple times. You might want to fasten your seatbelts and put your trays into the upright position, ladies and gentlemen. We may be further down the road than you might think. Why, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this edition of WI2C Radio this week as we continue on into the fray that is the Revelation timeline. We are to finally the seven seals. We're not particularly to the scroll itself, but the breaking of the seals that keep the scroll from being read. It's amazing to me that people expect these to be judgments that's written on the scroll, but that cannot be the case, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For the judgments come forth as the seals are being broken, not as anything is being read. Now, with that in mind... We've already taken note that this seven-sealed scroll is obviously not from the issuance of God the Father. It is obviously of the issuance of the sevenfold Spirit of God, which is quite plain with the opening introduction there in Revelation chapter 1. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, this paints this whole book in a whole different light. First chapter, we had the introduction, who the message was from. It follows up with who the message is to. And over these first five chapters, it's made abundantly clear that in the chapter prior to this chapter 5 there's no doubt about what's going on these things are being prepped and issued from he who sitteth upon the throne that phrase is used repeatedly repeatedly so with that in mind we have to we have to bear that in mind ladies and gentlemen this scroll does not even get opened in order to be read until the final seal is broken. We've already talked that this is obviously and overtly a transference of either authority, power, you might say. That stands out plainly in the text as... Now we'll come up with the idea, not of Christ the King, but he is referred to here in this diatribe as a lamb looking as it had been slain. So it's obvious what we're looking at here. This document, this transfer of authority and or power has got something to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubts about that. <clears throat> all types of information here that deviates from the standard dogma when you just read it when you just approach it as it as written look at it even in the previous broadcast when we pointed out that this being seven different periods of time cannot be the case because multiple times Within the series of churches, it says that upon the event, the other churches would know. 
And those verses were right there. They always were. And yet, the standard dogma contradicts exactly what the Bible, God's Holy Word, says. That cannot be the case. One thing that we should be directing our attention to is this is obviously going to have something to do with the seven angels that are obviously over this sevenfold ecclesia that is going to be alive at his coming. I mean, there is no debating these issues. It is stated quite clearly that the seven angels are over the seven churches. This obviously has everything to do with celestial hierarchy in the greater body, shall we say. So that being said, Brian, you were just a few minutes late, but let's have your opening comments so far, because now we're going into different territory, Brian. Now we're going we're gonna to start <laughs> where everybody else normally starts. They usually throw away the first five chapters like garbage. They don't even want anybody to read them, but when they do point them out, they lie and contradict the very verses in question, saying that this is seven different church ages, which is absolutely ridiculous once you read it. So, Brian, your, uh, your comments on the book of Revelation thus far. Well, I don't see that it's really too much uh, different than what yours was. Once again, like you stated, nobody touches these things with a 10-foot pole, and they're excruciatingly important. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the first five chapters. That's right. As you can plainly see, it was laid out like it should have been. Who is this from? Who is this to? What is this concerning? That's what we've got so far, ladies and gentlemen, in the first five chapters. Who the message is from, who the message is to, and what the message is concerning. Now we're going to get to the part where Everything thus far has not induced any activity in creation so far. None. This has only induced activity within the strata that makes up the temple, the body of Christ. That's what the ecclesia is. The Ecclesia is the temple for the Holy Spirit. So now that we just come out and say that, now it's evident as to why so far we've seen so much about those seven spirits and why nobody mentions them. Well, of course, especially when you go down the Hebrew roots path. You must deny the Holy Spirit. You have to. Once you start barking up that tree, ladies and gentlemen, the closer you get to, to the top, it means something. You're going somewhere, and that's one of the places it must go. 
you must uh, follow the Old Testament law, and you must reject the Holy Spirit. That's what they all do. Without deviating. It is just a question of time. Unfortunately, me and Brian have caught this same series of events in real time, up close and personal. Brian warned about it. I warned about it. Nothing could be done. That's where the individual wanted to go, and that's where they went. Natural series of events once you go down those paths. So with that being said, we need to get to the text. Brian and I have done a fantastic amount of work on these four writers. Just an amazing amount of work. And maybe we ought to take this by the chunk, shall we say. Let's see here. In Revelation, the sixth chapter, ladies and gentlemen, we have a series of very fortunate events. Let me say that backwards from everybody else. This is a series of fortunate events. You know, is it possible? Is it even possible for you not to be afraid? Is that possible? Do you not know? Have you not heard? That everything works together for the good to those who love God, comma, those who are called according to his purpose. So what we're getting ready to read right here, it's a series of fortunate events to the bride. You can take that to the bank. So with that in mind, what must be going on here? You should know full well before you get to the book of Revelation that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us, let's just talk about one single chapter, Matthew 24. He's told you well in advance, that's what's coming and that's what's going to happen. No such thing as the flight of fancy. That's what he says. So with that in mind, you should expect these events to believe it or not be for your benefit, as in the benefit of the bride. Look at it this way. <laughs> I know you've all trained your minds to be terrified. You're absolutely afraid of what's going to happen on the face of the earth during the tribulation. And yet it blows my mind how you think that God has abandoned you if you're the bride. That don't even make sense. To, that literally does not make cognitive, reasonable sense to me. It just doesn't. Now, what does make sense to me is that God repeatedly promises deliverance. And how he delivered us before was offering cover fire. What's cover fire, ladies and gentlemen? 
You need to look that up if you don't understand what that is, because that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel during the Exodus. Yes, the plague struck Egypt, but they did not strike the children of Israel. Or, if you know Hebrew, you realize that the Strongs don't give that definition correct because there's a yod in front of that. It means whom God has straightened. That's what Israel means. Just open your eyes and look at the Hebrew and then look at the Strongs or whoever else is telling you what this is. And you'll be able to plainly see that they are, in fact, lying to you. So, with that in mind, <laughs> why don't you, for once in your life, think of it this way. These events are going to be happening because if they happen this way, well, the bad guys are not going to have too much time to worry about what you're doing. It's called diversionary tactics, militarily speaking. Something is creating a diversion for you. Now, the book of Revelation will come out and directly tell you this in later chapters, actually. But for once in your life, will you please believe what comes out of God's mouth? He has no intention of killing you or murdering you. He has no intention of any bad things ever happening to you. As a matter of fact, this is his intention. He's even promised you this. That if you do, do go through a rough spell, you should at least have the faith of Abraham and know that well, um, if God does require a sacrifice, guess what? He's God. He can even raise from the dead. You do remember what I'm talking about, correct? So, with that in mind, as I read, I want you to listen. But don't listen for bad things happening to you. Look, ladies and gentlemen... The agents that are sent out or the activities that happen, these are not happening to the bride. Do you not understand that? They're not happening to the bride. That's why you don't know who were the children of Israel during, during the first plague. Amazes me when I'm in a classroom setting. I'll ask that question and people just looked at me kind of dumb. Like, well, it doesn't say what was happening to the children of Israel. Really? Well, how about the second one? You go on down the line, and then you realize, well, wait a minute. It says here that, well, how was there a plague of darkness? She had the light burned in Goshen. Did you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the children of Israel were big on complaining. They even tested God ten times. God got so fed up with it, finally stepped in and said, You have tested me ten times. This being the case, did you ever hear any complaining or grumbling from the children of Israel during, let's just say, the first three plagues? Did you ever hear that? Was that ever chronicled? Of course it wasn't. 
What was happening to the Egyptians? I'll tell you what was happening to the Egyptians. They had great big problems on their hands, and those problems took their eyes right off the children of Israel. Yep, yep, yep. That's what happened. So, I'm going to expect the same thing. Let's just expect that going forward. But even though the bride is going to be in technically the physical location that the results of these seals being broken is going to occur, that really don't matter. We should already know, I mean, this is why the entire Bible repeats and repeats and repeats to remember the Exodus to remember the wonders that he performed. I mean, literally, you cannot get cross-references for the Exodus event. You can't do it because it's literally cross-referenced so many times in so many verses. So, well, that being said, let's, let's just read it. Only this time, let us not be afraid. Let's try that for just once in your life. Because up until this point, everybody's deadpanned convinced you. Oh my lord, oh my lord. They've actually convinced you to store up your beans, your bullets, and your bullion. They they really have, I'm not lying. But that was to only their benefit. Not yours. Don't you realize that? You buying those things was to their benefit. Not yours. Revelation, the sixth chapter. Brian, do you think I should read the entire thing, or you think we need to uh, maybe stop at... Maybe we should just read the first four seals, perhaps. What's your uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would stick with the first four seals first, and then move from there. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we normally don't do this, but we're not going to have to deal with what's already been done. Okay, and everybody puts you know the the first four together completely eradicating everything else. They just want you to see the four writers of the apocalypse. So, with that in mind, I think uh, Brian and I are in complete agreement. We're just going to read the first four seals, and we will go forward from there. Uh, Brian will have the first uh, commentary, because last week, actually we've had to move this several times. I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago. Brian was forced to read because I was having difficulties, if I remember correctly. So I shall uh, read the first four seals. We're going to be reading out of the Thompson translation. Why am I going to use that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you need to realize that uh, Charles Thompson actually translated the entire Greek Bible. Full thing. So you can actually reference, you can actually read cross-reference, his entire text, if you're able to get a hold of his Bible. That's New Testament and Old Testament. 
So with that in mind, uh, we usually don't read from that. Uh, Brian and I usually either do the New American Standard Bible or the KJV, but you know, let's let's switch it up this time. So it's going to read like it's old, which it is. It will feel like the flavor of the KJV, but it's different enough that you need to listen for things that stick out to you. They stick out to you for a reason, and God's wanting to get your attention. Starting with the very first verse. And I looked, and when the Lamb opened the first of the seals, and I heard the first of the four animate beings say, as with a voice of thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who was mounted on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second animate being saying, Come and see. And there went forth another horse of a fiery color. And to him mounted thereon, it was given to take peace from the earth that men might slay one another. And a great sword was given him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third animate being say, Come and see. And I looked and behold a black horse. And he who was mounted on him had a balance in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four animate beings saying, A quinix of wheat for a dinar, and three quinix of barley for a dinar. But do not hurt the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth animate being say, Come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and one mounted on him, whose name was pestilence and the mansion of the dead followed him and to their power was given to say a fourth part of the earth was soured and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth so ladies and gentlemen let me say this before Brian takes off it's pretty obvious that this is not really about the four writers. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just say this. Let's just talk about that funny word that the Thompson uses here, which is actually really quite correct. That's exactly how this should be translated. Animate beings is what they're called. And, you know, I wonder what that voice in the midst of them was. Because there's only one thing that should be in their midst, ladies and gentlemen. He who sat upon the throne. That's it. And, like I said, I'm just reading, and I'll just reread verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four animate beings saying, well, ladies and gentlemen, stop the bus. 
The only thing in their midst is he who sits upon the throne. But yet it does not say that's who said this. It doesn't say that at all. Brian, give this uh, a shot first. Um, you've got first at commentary this week. Well, I think one of the important things here is Well, which do we point out first? Well, I'll point this out first and come back to it. You cannot read this without reading Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6. Otherwise, you're absolutely confused as to what the job of the writers, or better known as the craftsmen of Zechariah. Now, essentially, to keep it simple, what's their job? Well... You know, I didn't really want to go here, but yesterday I saw somebody post an article that made me kind of have to address this. Their big job is to stop this infamous New World Order that everybody goes on and on and on about. Now, I saw an article yesterday that was trying to point out that it is only the quote-unquote left that is pushing this agenda, when that is absolutely so far in left field, it is utterly ridiculous. Take a step back, think about it for a moment, because it is technically speaking both the left and the right that are pushing the agenda. From the right, the first time that that statement came into the forefront and center in the world, this was made by George Bush Sr., when he called for a new world order. Okay, on top of it, Kissinger, Brzezinski, both worked under Republic presidents. Carter, Nixon. Okay, there we have two globalists. The uh, person that was behind the family or the fellowship who does the prayer breakfasts in the United States in the White House once per year made the original statement about bringing around about a new world order through the hands of a theocracy. Okay, folks, so you need to sweep this stuff under the rug about it's only one side pushing it because that's not the case. And between the first two writers themselves, this is amplified. Okay, the first one is nationalism. White horse, you can look up white horse nationalism. It's right there in broad daylight for everybody to see. Second one, the red horse. Well, it's not necessarily right there for everyone to see, but then again, it's not hard to figure it out. This is the left. This is where socialism comes into play. Now, I know everybody's running around trying to tell you that the white horse is the Antichrist. No, it's not. No, it is not. It never has been. Okay, and there's all kinds of other funny little things I like to try to tell people concerning this. Now, Another thing to point out here, and that's where things are going to get tricksy, because I'm almost debating that we're going to have to do a separate show concerning this portion of things alone, because people are probably going to be wondering about the timing of these events. And this one gets very complex, folks, because you're dealing with this being spread out through 
120 years and a micro timeline of 2,345 actual literal days. So, you know, and to point this out, once we go beyond that sixth seal, folks, do not try to chart this on a calendar. You cannot do it. And we'll get to that later when we get to the sixth seal itself. So that's uh, handing it back over to you, Matthew. Very well said. Um, you know, I, I just want to make a stupid observation. Okay, Bri, can can I do that? Let us consider, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, Brian just had to say it. He just couldn't hold back that the white man is supposed to be the Antichrist. Okay, all right. We can do that. So the second writer is fighting, is destroying the Antichrist kingdom. Uh-oh. You didn't catch that? Okay, this is what the first writer does. <laughs> the first writer makes nations fight against each other. And then the second writer tears the nations apart with revolution. Uh, so, so I guess the Antichrist, uh, he only, uh, he only gets to do what he wants for the duration of his seal, I guess, because the second writer comes right through and then does everything he, everything the first writer just accomplished. Or is it just me? <laughs> I mean, that's just a general observation. But with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just take note that I never said, it's never came out of my mouth, not ever, that uh, the rider of the white horse was the Antichrist. I mean, I have written documentation, uh, well... Actually, uh, pre-high school, written up on this about the Greek. So, I mean, we could even go back to when I was, you know, <laughs> a preteen <laughs> and uh, prove that, no, Matthew never said that. Not not ever. I, I never said that. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you cannot read these – You'll be completely confused outside of the light of what they're doing. It's impossible. So um, I'm just going to read it. Shall we read it? Brian mentioned Zechariah chapter 1. You can't get around it. Okay, let's do that. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the prophet, the son of Bacariah, the son of Edo. As follows, I saw at night. Ah, yes. I'm sorry to pause, but the Lord Jesus Christ warned us about the coming night when no good deed can be done. Yes, he did. But let me continue. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse. And he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine 
with the red soul and white horses behind him. Then I said, My lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, which have been indignant these seventy years? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me, gracious words, comforting words, so that the angel who was speaking with me, speaking with, said to me, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Now, let me just pause and say this. You realize we're never told what the Lord God of hosts is talking about. What is it that they did exactly? What is it that they did to further the disaster. Continue on with verse 16. Therefore, thus it says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem. I hope you all just realized what he who sitteth upon the throne just said. He said that he was going to return to Jerusalem. Continuing on. With compassion, my house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities. Hmm, that's strange. He said plural. Hmm, I find that interesting. Will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion. And again choose Jerusalem. Very interesting way to put that. I don't recall as to when the first time was he comforted Zion. Well, with that being said, verse 18. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Ooh. We're eventually going to get to some heads and some horns and oh, some crowns and everything else in the book of Revelation. 
but you can plainly see the dynamic here involved. The relationship one to another. Ladies and gentlemen, it's almost staggering. It's amazing that people can't put two and two together. It really, truly is. It's amazing. So when we think about this, well, um, where else are these mentioned? Well, you do know of the four chariots also mentioned in the book of Zechariah. I should hope, because that's kind of detrimental to the whole thing. So we're going to go what Brian was talking about, and I'm just going to read that, just for the sake of doing so. Now I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, the four chariots coming forth from between two mountains the mountains were bronze mountains. And the first chariot, red horses. The second chariot, black horses. The third chariot, white horses. The fourth chariot, strong dappled horses. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven. Going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. With one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country. The white ones go forth after them. While the doppled horses go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out... They were eager to go to patrol the earth, and he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, see those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. Now, the word of the Lord also came to me, saying, Take an offering from the exiles from Haldiah and Tobijah and Jedediah. And you go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have arrived from Babylon. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here we're given a whole greater strata of information. But I have read what Brian referred to, so let's just go back to him now that I've read some more. Um, Brian, it was pretty obvious uh, what was going on here, the different um, imagery used, but it always seemed to ca to come from the same point of view, uh, that they were going out with the illicit duty of tearing apart 
that which had done very bad things to God's people. Not to God's people. No, 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 that's not what I said. These agents are sent out to harass those people that harass God's people. It's pretty obvious to me. I mean, it could be wrong, but it sounds like to me what they're doing is extremely diversionary tactics for the bride. That's what it sounds like to me. Brian, your thoughts? Well, factoring in as well, you know, going back to Zechariah, it's important to take note of the directions. North and south, most notably, are singled out. Um, I don't know if you went to Zechariah 6 here because I was looking over some of this timeline stuff in the background while you were reading there. Yes, I did. I read from Zechariah chapter 6, read the whole thing concerning the four chariots. All right, because, you know, if you take note there, folks, the biggest thing that stands out is you have the black and the white heading north. If you look at those, uh, you know, because the four horns, those who are coming against Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, and then, so stop and think for a moment when we had the first indications of those four riders going out within that 120-year cycle. Okay, if we go 120 years from locking in the day of the 2019 and whipping it backwards to 1899. Okay, we go back two years, and then 1897 was the first Zionist Zionist Congress and Basel program, which was in 1897. You go forward to 1899, that was the second. Between... 1899 to 1909, we had nationalism started flaring up. Where? Well, if we go north towards the European nations, you had it flaring up there. Okay, folks. And then come back around to the Black Horse, uh, you know, which is most notably usually listed as famine. And we've talked about the fact that it's on inflation or hyperinflation. Well, look what happened when you roll the clock forward to 1929. That's when the Great Depression came into effect. But who, on top of it, was affected even more so after the Versailles Treaty was Germany. They completely devalued their currency so that it basically was worth nothing more than uh, kindling for fires. So we see this pattern. Okay, when we whip it back around to by the time when Israel became a nation, well, who was in the north that came against Israel at that point in time? Syria. Who in the south came against them at that point in time? Egypt. Okay, so we see that there's different patrols moving towards these different horns, and it's on a rotating basis. You've got three of these cycles. Throughout the 120 years, each one broken down into a 40 time frame. But I mean, at least to point out those aspects within this, as far as those four horns are concerned that are coming against Judah and Jerusalem, so people can understand that for the time being, before we go into the timelines that will later 
maybe a later date or if there's more time in tonight's show. I don't know. I doubt it. Well, that's what we were just told. That these writers obviously periodically patrol the Earth. Uh, That's actually their job. That's what they do. Now, let's let's bring up this idea that I mentioned earlier. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it stated very clearly uh, that he was going to comfort Zion. Now, let's make perfectly sure that we all understand what that is. Let's go to everybody's favorite, Psalm 2. It says, uh, you know, very importantly, that come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word from Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, over and over again, he makes it perfectly clear that Zion is where he rules. That's where he runs the show from. He makes it overtly clear that Zion, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, where he rules from. That's where his actual throne is. Now, symbolically, that also refers to the temple mount physically there in Israel. But it repeatedly says, ladies and gentlemen, that Zion is where his throne is. And we were just told multiple times about he who sitteth upon the throne. No doubt about it. So, everything used and stated there in Zechariah, ladies and gentlemen, is of paramount importance. You'll take note. The many references therein of things that's obviously going to happen on Mount Zion. We were just told uh, that these were the four spirits of heaven. You were literally just literally come out and told that here in Zechariah. So you should expect that these are going to be different from the rest. I mean... You get to the book of Revelation with that thought already in mind. These things patrol periodically. But this one time they patrol is special, as Brian pointed out. Two goes to the north, one goes to the south. They are targeting Just take note of that. Something is obviously getting ready to happen in Zion. And Revelation plainly stated that just by me pointing out the simple fact that, wait a minute. How were the voices coming in the midst of the four 
living creatures, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's supposed to be where he who sitteth upon the throne is. You were already told. That's even why I named that episode what I named it. There's no way around it. He was wanting you to see that... Um, what is this voice? Why is it coming from the midst of the four living creatures? So when we proceed with Revelation, we should look for different things now because obviously another living creature isn't going to speak. There's only four. There's only four. But based on the data offered to us in the book of Zechariah covering two different chapters, we certainly don't have time to cover the entire book of Zechariah in this setting. But it's made abundantly clear that time is cyclical. And these four writers create folds of time is what they do. So, With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a good break in the entire strata of data that we're going through here. So we're going to go ahead and play the intro again. Because what else can I possibly play that would get you to realize what is obviously going on? But this time is different. They went out at the behest of the four living creatures. That creates folds of time, which Brian just gave you a bunch of details about. But next, we're going to see something else. What changes? I mean, who on earth could possibly provoke change? Ladies and gentlemen, you've all been told that the entire tribulation is due to the rise of the Antichrist. Really? You actually think that this figure that you call the Antichrist has the power to step in and say, okay, now it's time for the tribulation. You actually think that. When, just give it a few minutes and you're going to see exactly who has the power to effect the change in going from normal time to tribulation time. Why, well, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us proceed now with the next seal. Much to talk about here, because here you're given the full meal deal. So much information given. Such a few short verses. I don't know. Maybe third time is a charm. Verse 9, Revelation, the sixth chapter. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. You'll take note, ladies and gentlemen, what we already talked about. We did discuss Zion and the comforting therein, right? I mean, it was very plain with what was said in Zechariah. Here, let me read it to you. The first chapter of Zechariah, verse 14. Proclaim, proclaim saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Verse 17. Again proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And we just got the instigator. We just got the in the instigator. Now I do take note that he's obviously wanting you to see not only Jerusalem, but Zion. And Mount Zion isn't mentioned until Revelation chapter 14. So, from this point forward is where we should expect very big events to take place. As a matter of fact, I would expect the following, the following series of events to be a response to this seal right here. Because, ladies and gentlemen, who answered them? You didn't catch that, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, you didn't catch that. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, 
And here we go again. Why is God wanting us to see this? Now, at first we had a voice issue from the midst of the four living creatures. When, obviously, the only thing that was supposed to be occupying that particular spot was he who sat upon the throne. We were already told that. But here, it deviates. It was just a voice coming from the center of the four living creatures, or four living beings, however you'd like to put it. But yet, who answers them? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, did they ask anybody for white robes? Is that what they asked for? Oh, you didn't catch that? So up until this point, what were they looking like? Well, I'll tell you what they had been looking like. Those who had been slain. Oh my goodness, is that the first time anybody's ever pointed that out to you? Don't, don't you realize that that's why they were given white robes, because they were standing there looking like they had been slain. Of course, the same thing is spoken of about the Lamb, correct? Don't you all realize what I just said? Or perhaps you don't remember it. I mean, that, that was in prior broadcast, right? Well, let's go back to the previous chapter. I'll just read those where it's where that word is used, slain. Let's just take a look at it. I saw between the throne with four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slain, having seven horns, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. Verse 9. Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. Did you catch that? Oh, you didn't catch that. He just come out and told you why he was slain. Let me read the whole thing from the top. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, riches, and wisdom, might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I don't know why any of you would forget that. Multiple times, they wanted you to see that this lamb was looking as it had been slain. And the next time that word is used... 
it should stick out to you. You'll take note, these souls are not in Hades. They are not in paradise. They're at the altar, ladies and gentlemen, and we've already discussed this, so that's why I pointed it out before, but there's so many verses, it's redundant to talk about the simple fact that Zion is where that throne is. This is the heavenly throne room. That's why a lot of people refer uh, to Revelation uh, you know, chapter 4 as the scene in heaven. No, that's the throne room. That's what it is. So it's just amazing to me how quickly people forget. And of course, it's hard to do when all of these cunningly devised fables have been spoon-fed to you repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly when it's obvious that uh, they have the authority to address God himself. Did nobody ever catch that? These were counted so special that they were actually allowed to question God? No, really. Very bad things have happened in relation to people questioning God. I mean, the most easiest to bring up is Job. Because the Lord lost his temple with him and he told him, brace yourself like a man because I'm going to ask you and you will answer me. You remember that? You'll take note that um, the four living creatures here uh, never questioned God. It doesn't say the 24 elders had the authority to question God. But those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Had the right. Had the wherewithal. Because obviously uh, you just don't walk up to God and question him. But yet here we have a group on Mount Zion that had also been slain. And yet God does not answer them. It says they were told. And you realize, this is the first time that anybody finds out that there's a number, an exact number of people that's going to be martyred. And if you don't see this going forward, that obviously these are the most important people ever, I really don't know how to breach that topic with you if you just haven't clock that from the plain reading of the text. I mean, why did I have to point out to you that they were obviously looking 
like they had been slain and something massive was getting ready to happen. Because after, you know what, Stephen is right there. And the same clothes he was stoned in. That's how he's looking right now. <clears throat> but here, as soon as they cry out to God and ask God this question, all of a sudden now, they're given white robes because God don't want them at the altar looking as if they had been slain. Let's talk about that again. I already brought up reference to a sacrifice where somebody had so much faith that they just reasoned to themselves, I whoop de do. God can raise the dead. Don't you realize that's inferred here? <laughs> it's inferred that somebody's going to be resurrected. It's inferred. It's talked about, well, one of my favorite references, of course, in the Apocalypse of Isaiah. But this is obviously extremely important, and it's obviously tied to also events that's going to be occurring on Mount Zion. But just take note, I just pointed out to you in two different ways that God's trying to point out to you in every way, shape, and form um, a different voice other than his issued from the center of the four living creatures. Now we don't get any response from him at all. And we're not even told who has the authority to answer the martyrs. I mean, it's almost like everybody gets together and, you know, uh, kind of hymns haul around and, and just said they were told to wait a little while longer. But it never says who told them. So you should expect that now we're getting ready to get this show on the road. Zacharias made it perfectly clear this is an event horizon. Sometime in the future, God's going to say, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to... And like I said, he said with his own mouth, he's going to come have a look-see down at Jerusalem, and that's going to directly impact Mount Zion. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, from what I just talked about with the voice issuing from the center of the four living beasts and the martyrs not being answered by he who sitteth upon the throne, you probably should just try believing him that God really is going to come to Jerusalem. He, he really is going to come down and look, have a seat. He's going to see. But that's what he said. And, and I'm sorry about that. I really am sorry that you're probably furious at me right now by even inferring that this is the case. Now, 
Today I spent some time talking with an individual. Once again, 20 years. Why is it everybody in 20 years studying Bible prophecy? I just don't get it. It shocked them when they looked into the word there for Christ will descend with a shout. The opening diatribe was he sent me an email message. Which, can you tell me where this exact Greek word is in the Greek text that you talk about? They, they had no idea what the Septuagint was. I had no idea. They just heard me say that on air, and they're not a long-time listener of mine. And Well, they wanted to know what I was talking about. And uh, so I responded with a list. I didn't say, you know, uh, I didn't talk, give any pleasantries. I give them the list. At the end of the list, I just stated, God bless, God speed, Matthew. So I responded. They immediately got back with me. (laughs) Can we talk? They were shocked at these things. So I'm I'm sorry. If I was the first one to point out for you, there ain't no next thing on the timeline being uh, a secret return of Christ. No, no, that ain't what Christ said himself. Uh, But we were just pointed out by just tying the links of the chain together. Zechariah chapter 1, chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6. And now things are starting to probably dawn on you from, oh, I remember Isaiah talking about that, Ezekiel. Psalms and Proverbs. All the many verses, uh, uh, particularly saying that uh, God's going to come right out of our cage. He himself is going to come have a look-see. And, well, if he's coming to Jerusalem to have a look-see, yeah, obviously. He obviously... is either well I don't want to say too much because of course God is omnipresent but our minds can take only so much information in but he's screaming out to you Something is getting ready to happen in more ways than one. Like I said, we just found out that this strange time, Brian pointed it right out to you. Uh, The writers don't patrol the earth this time. It's not what it says. Some go north, some go south. Did, Did you catch that, that nobody went east or west? You, you did catch that. And now we're told a time frame. He just come right out and told you 
wait a little while longer so an event can happen. That the number can be completed for those that are at the altar. And everybody should be happy right now. I mean, just think of the thousands of years that transpired between the book of Zechariah and Revelation. There's a whole lot of people in there that all of a sudden should be jumping for joy because now all of a sudden God's told them when what he said in the book of Zechariah is going to come true. He just come right out and told you. And he said the exact opposite of what everybody else says, that the four writers of the apocalypse are supposed to be the inception of the new world order. That's exactly the opposite of what these craftsmen are ordained to do. So, there's my thoughts on it. I mean, just three simple verses. But if you were listening, it was screaming the ages. Screaming the ages. I mean, God was obviously wanting you to see. Uh, by the way, let's just throw that word in there, slain. So that they realize they just got through reading Revelation chapter. There's no way they could forget about the lamb looking as if it had been slain. Because he said it multiple times. Out of multiple mouths, actually. Making sure that you've seen that the lamb was looking as it had been slain. And the next ones that have been slain, nobody wants to come right out and say that they're looking like they have been slain. So we're just going to cover that up under the rug and, you know, before God gets too angry, let's give these people white robes. You get the feeling creation is nervous at their crying out. Brian, your thoughts on these three simple verses. Boy, you always manage to catch me when I've got my hands full. Okay, on this set of verses. Well, I mean, let's point out the infamous here because I'm sure... We got the big old teaching, folks, that, you know, we die, we go here to heaven. This is blah, 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 but they don't realize, folks, it only tells us that the martyrs are sitting here. Okay, that's the only thing it ever says. It is the martyrs that are in the throne room. So then, you know, we walk into the other infamous bit of confusion. Good old Revelation 7-9. Well, don't, isn't that the infamous uh, event that we don't mention? Isn't that the rapture? Revelation 7-9, because, well, the cross-reference quite simply takes you to 14... After these things look and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb 
And then we go down here to uh, verse 14, like I said, which was that cross-reference. If I could find 14. Okay, one second. Let me flip back over here to one without the Strongs. <laughs> And I said to him, my Lord, okay, well, we'll start up here. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they from, and from where have they come? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But nonetheless, folks, you know, we have two infamous mythologies that came into place. One of them was during the Middle Ages. Okay, we have Abraham's bosom, and we have Sheol, and we have Hades. Okay, but it's, the martyrs are the ones there in the throne rooms, folks. And this is not, in Revelation 7, this is not a reference to the rapture. So we can erase that stuff and sweep it under the rug and get it out of our minds. And that's back over to you. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, I mean, you've got no choice but to realize that this has got to go. I mean... You have to go to Revelation chapter 20 from there. You've got no choice. You have no choice. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been headed because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we probably should look for their number because that's what the martyrs are going to get. Oh, and to point out, too, on top of it, Great Tribulation is spoken of there in Revelation 7 and what you just read in Revelation 20. The last portion gives you who it is that uh, comes out of great tribulation, those who do not worship the beast. But do you realize that just contradicts everything that is the modern dogma that is today's eschatological teaching, Brian? But yet, that's what he just said. Now, we got a whole lot of ground to cover before we get to those things. And it makes you wonder if people's going to be able to remember that far into the timeline. Because we just talked about how, well, uh, the lamb is appearing as he had been slain at this point on the timeline. And the only other reference to that is right here in the fifth seal. I mean, they asked 
how long. They asked for a quantity of time, and that's not the quantity they were given, and they weren't told that number. They just said that a number of murdered had to be completed. That's how long they had to wait until that number was completed. Not a chronological time. No, no, no. Let me explain. They asked for an incremental definition of time. That's what they asked for. That's not what they were given. They were told that the increments was not going to be in time. It was going to be more martyrs that would complete their incrementation. Did everybody catch that? They literally said, uh, you know, Lord, how many hours until you avenge us? And it's right here that they're told, oh, you're not waiting on for a number of hours. You're waiting on the number of martyrs that they're going to be to be completed. And you need to expect here very shortly, in very short order, for you to be given a number, ladies and gentlemen. You should expect that. But everybody sweeps these three verses under the rug as far as they can get them. Literally as far as they can get them underneath the rug. I mean, does anybody realize the reference here to Hebrews, the 12th chapter? Did I get everybody's attention? You're probably thinking to yourself, what is Matthew talking about? Let's talk about Mount Zion. Okay? Let's go to Revelation, or let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and let's just start reading with verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God. Oops, God just come right out and said that, by the way, uh, Zion's my throne room. But we'll continue reading. The heavenly Jerusalem. Oops. Did you catch that? Now it makes you consider what it is that you thought was being spoken of in the book of Zechariah, doesn't it? And to myriads of angels. Verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You caught that, right? I hope everybody caught what was just said. I mean, I don't know when the last time you read Hebrews chapter 12, but now you probably should. Because now, 
well, you're told when the judging is going to take place, right? We, we just read it to you. The martyrs cried out. When are you going to avenge us? When are you going to judge? I'm not going to give you a number of time. I'm going to give you a number of quantity of your fellow martyrs. And, you know, I have got to say this. Thus far, these are by far the most important parts that we've pointed out in the book of Revelation. I mean, it, I, I do consider it pretty important that you bring up the simple fact that uh, it mentions the Holy Spirit and it's sevenfold and that just makes everybody mad. That That is important. But what we were just given here in Revelation chapter 6 so far, you realize that that's why everything happened in the in the throne room that happened in chapter 4. You're obviously being made to see he who sits upon the throne. You're given the layout of this infamous Mount Zion. This, as Hebrews already told us, so we should have already known what was going on. This heavenly Jerusalem. And I guess the things covered so far would would kind of take you by surprise if you didn't know those things about Zechariah or Hebrews chapter 12. Or the simple fact that they had you chasing down, you know, okay, what was the dates for the first church? Okay, so that first church must have been, you know, up into, let's say, 100 AD. And the second church, you know... And they probably had you digging through timelines and trying to see, you know, how prophetically uh, the church's Simona could have possibly be, you know, even using etymology. How was it connected to, let's say, the 400s or whatever it is they say, you know, whatever it is, the puke that comes out of their mouth? Because it's lies. But so far... The most important thing that has been shown to me is the simple fact that there's a voice that comes where God's throne is supposed to be. That's where he who sits upon the throne is supposed to be. I mean, the only entities in that locality is the four beasts. So how can a voice can be coming from their midst? The only thing in their midst is he who sits upon the throne. The martyrs ask him a direct question, and all of a sudden he doesn't answer. And it's got everybody so nervous in heaven that they, you know, not only get a shaky answer, they're given white robes, they're given a change of clothes. That's not what they ask for. They ask for a duration of time. That's not what they were given. And not only that, the response they got was not from he who sitteth upon the throne. Almost like everybody was nervous. 
And like I said, you should have already been drawn to this having read when God himself said, I'm going to come have a look-see. So how is it there is no possible way from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, okay, from there, all the way to Revelation chapter 6, verse 11, you could ever come to the conclusion that all of a sudden uh, Jesus was going to, you know, uh, take off his you know, garments that were obviously bloodied, he was looking like he was slain, put on some armor, uh, come back, you know, slip out of the throne. You never said it, never said he left the throne room. But anyway, I guess he does. Oh my goodness. That is exactly the opposite of what God has said so far. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Just one word, you know. Have you ever asked yourself, I mean, you know that chapter so much. I'm not even going to mention it. You know what it says, that uh, he will ascend with a shout. Do you know what type of shout that is? It's not a shout done in secret. <laughs> so you take notice, there was never any reference to uh, the lamb slipping out of the throne room. No, 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 no. But God has stated everywhere... Uh, before, not only these verses, before in every single chapter of the Bible, that he is, in fact, going to have a come-look-see. He's come right out and... T Matter of fact, I mean, other chapters... Other, I mean, there's such a broad range of them. I mean, I think I mentioned on this before. The simple fact that, you know, you don't have to believe him, but when he says he's going to ride the cloud... Uh, and he, and, oh my goodness, multiple books. And yet you just ignore that. You just delete all of that and instead replace that with the secret return of the Lamb. Uh, to me, that's a... Uh, <clears throat> well, that's just flat preposterous. Because I know everything that Isaiah wrote about it. I know everything in Psalms. I know everything in Ezekiel. God never says that. He never even hits about some secret return. Now, he does mention... Um, that a great deal of physical things happens uh, when he gets down here. I mean, of, of that, he's given us a plethora of information. But I'm sure that if that event is coming, when it does come, you're going to see it, and he's going to make you see it. You're going to hear echoes of that in... Uh, you know, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the Psalms. I mean, it, it just blows me away that, you know, we've just been looking at it naturally and been using 
biblical cross-references back to where he spoke about these things before, and there's no way, shape, or form you could infer anything secret is about to happen. But, ladies and gentlemen, something's obviously about ready to happen with he who sitteth upon the throne. I mean, this strange verse, or this, this strange voice that come from the midst of the living creatures? All of a sudden, he does not answer the martyrs? I mean, if you need a hint, you ain't got a clue. And it ain't got nothing to do with secrecy. I mean, the verse implies, um, ladies and gentlemen, who give him the white robes? I mean, to me, Revelation chapter 6, verse 11, reads like everybody was scrambling. Even the living creatures of 24 hours, everybody running around, you know, trying to, you know, make sure that um, those that are at the altar don't get any more upset. Because they know it, it, it must mean really bad things are going to happen if they get too upset. I mean, it doesn't say angels told them that, hey, you're, you're going to have to wait a little while longer. It doesn't say the 24 elders told them. It doesn't say the living creatures told them. It's kind of like everyone was nervous. Everybody was hoping that the martyrs weren't going to ask the next question. Why are you answering us? You realize that is the real question that should have been answered? There really should be another verse after this with them being told why it was that he who sitteth upon the throne didn't answer them. But you never get that. And I don't know. Maybe we are about ready to be told. Why it is that God didn't answer them. And instead of God answering them, um, they got some nice shiny white robes. But it obviously ain't got nothing to be doing with anything done in secret. Now, the lamb obviously isn't going anywhere because, well, he just broke one seal, two seals, three seals, four seals, five seals. It's almost where he's at. He's right there. You've already been told. There is no questions where he's standing. No questions where he's at. You're never told that he's relocated in the midst of breaking these seals. You're never told that. So we know where he's standing at right now. And we know that must be... Here, let me say it like this. Wherever he's standing, it must be earshot to that altar that's in heaven. It's within earshot of that. Much like a paradise is within earshot of Hades. Because the Bible God's Holy Word says this, uh, that, uh, you know, somebody wound up in Hades and they, you know, called up, hey, give us a drink. Oh, you realize that was real? Yeah, yeah that, that, that's real. That wasn't actually a fairy tale. No, it amazes me. So let me get this right. Let me get this right. 
You actually think that the parables were fiction. Have you lost your mind to call the Son of God a liar? He never said they were fiction. He said they were... Well, I don't need to go over it. Anyway, it just kind of makes you wonder, well, why was parable ever used? But I'm just saying. I hope you're, you're able to connect the dots here. The altar is obviously in earshot of where the lamb is. He can hear what they're saying. It's not some other erythrial location. Abraham and his bosom is not on Mount Zion. It's not. It's obviously in what you and I properly call Hades. I mean, we're getting to the point that people don't even know what hell is. Ladies and gentlemen, hell comes after Hades. It's called the Lake of Fire. So, with all those things in mind... That's what we need to look for. Um, obviously, we're about to be shown some really big uh, gangbanger stuff. I mean, we're told how many times about he who sitteth upon the throne and about the throne, and we've got a whole chapter dedicated to basically that throne. And all of a sudden, uh, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Brian, we're down to the last ten minutes. The mic is yours. Well, I'm just sort of wondering if you're going to take this last ten minutes to get into six, because, or are we going to have to do a whole other program? No, I... No, we're... <laughs> yeah. If we can do that in one program, that's the question. So no, I don't. I think this is where we need to leave them, ladies and gentlemen. You need to figure out. I don't care how long it takes us, because this time, you know, we had uh, things with uh, with Clinton uh, that came up. We had things that we had to do with Brent that came up. So I think it's been two or three weeks since we've done our last WI2C radio, but that's why we need to leave. You need to figure that out. You need to figure out why he was set upon the throne to not answer those at the altar that had been slain. You need to figure out why didn't uh, he was set upon the throne talk about the proportions there. Why was this just a voice that come from the midst of the four living creatures? So that's my personal thoughts. But if you want to jump into it uh, with the last uh, 10 minutes and we got 15 into overdrive, I'm fine with that. But, you know, we, we will recover it next week, obviously, because <laughs> everything we've talked about so far is in stark contrast 
to the dogma proclaimed today, Brian. So uh, do what you feel best. Um, if you want to spend some time on uh, the sixth seal uh, leading up to the seventh seal, if you'd like to, go right ahead. It doesn't doesn't bother me a bit. Well, this is where I'm wondering, you know, we've got Saturday coming up. Uh, what is your thoughts on as far as the news this week? Because I've seen that it's been a little bit on the um, minimal side. I'm almost wondering if we should continue this on Saturday or maybe uh, um, what's your thoughts? Well, well, the listeners don't know that Clinton's not going to be with us again. Uh, this Saturday, he needs to uh, spend some time with his wife. Uh, so uh, that thought had not crossed my mind yet. Is that what you want to do? Because if 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 that's where you think we need to go, then that's where we'll go. We'll do just we'll just do WI2C radio come Saturday. I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm going wherever he's at, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care if he goes north, south, east, or west, wherever it is. That the Holy Spirit is at that. That's where I'm going. So I don't know if that's um, would that be just the best thing to do? You think, Brian? Is just do a WI2C radio on Saturday? That's what I'm sort of getting the gist of. It's like I said, what news there is, I think we can cover in about ten whole minutes. I mean, it's been one of those slower weeks. Not necessarily awfully slow, but we are definitely building towards a crescendo of. Well, all these events we've been speaking of here, folks, right here in Revelation 6, as a matter of fact, I mean, I brought out white horse nationalism, folks. Look at the comment Trump made today, and rightly so, I-24 News out of Israel pointed out the Captain Obvious moment of, look, folks, he is a nationalist. There's no escaping that. It just further reiterates everything here. Um. Some of the stuff I was looking into in the background here, because, of course, once again, and this is going back, actually, to Zechariah. Now, there was something that, see, folks, they're playing games with you concerning the temple, the rebuilding of the second second temple. They've completely messed up everybody's minds concerning this. And the beginning of Zechariah chapter 1 states some very interesting things here. It points out that this is the eighth month of the second year of Darius. It points out that 70 years. Okay, you should remember that from Daniel 9. Everybody, Daniel 9 points out again Darius the Mede. But if you go over, now this, for instance, is going to come up in a vast amount of your infamous commentaries. They're going to try to tell you again that this is Darius the Great. But I thought the temple was restored at the time of Darius the Great, according to their false timeline. So how can this be when much of this is referring to the second temple being rebuilt? How can this 70-year phase be at the time of Darius the Great? Folks, this gets ridiculous. And this is the very major factor here, and that's why I'm wanting to do a program all about these timelines because that's what they want to do is confuse you concerning time. The way they've got everything set up, they've completely obliterated the prophecies of Daniel 9. 
Okay, how can it work into this time frame when everybody says this, 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 and this? If you do simple math with the calculator, you're going to find out their numbers don't add up. It gets important when we go further. When we look at this last 120 years, when we look at 2,345 days, starting back at that infamous winter solstice, of December 21st to 2012. You know, we didn't even recognize that date until a few months ago when I stumbled onto it on air. Yeah, there it is. Staring you right in the face when you know where to run things from. But it's like I said, this goes back to Daniel 9. If you don't have the proper year for the birth of Messiah nor the proper year for the crucifixion, well, none of what I'm telling you right now is going to make sense. Nor what we're going to tell you in the timeline. So we got a whole big mess to clear up concerning what they're trying to tell you with their timelines, folks, when they're all in left field. So that's what I wanted to touch on for the time being. Well, I'll touch on this before I go. I mean... I know 120, you know, December 21st comes really important. I mean, it's really important. Uh, yeah. I, you know, we did a whole show on that how long ago, Brian? Five years, six years I ago? I don't think we ever, I don't think we ever did anything on that because we kept that in our back pockets. I discovered that how many years ago now? It's got to be at least five, six years. Well, you realize that uh, Budweiser did a series of, you know, a whole advertisement series of about what's going to take, you know, in representation to the sign that's going to happen in. I mean, I remember posting on that stuff, so I thought we did some stuff on that, but we didn't. Okay, well, that sign's pretty important, by the way. yeah, that old guy to me, that old uh, boy that gets taken to heaven to be the cupbearer of the gods. Huh. That's interesting. Anyway, all right, we won't talk about that date. No problem. Uh, no problem whatsoever. And um, Nobody thinks biblically anyway, so they have no idea what sign this is going to take place in. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, but we've got a, a, a bigger sign uh, no let me take that back a sign that's more pertinent to the time we're in that's that's really well we've got a few months before you and I need to just decide what we're going to do if we're going to tell anybody or not I mean um, you know we've been screaming uh, stop listening to preachers that preach rebellion uh, they need to preach righteousness um, you know I don't so I don't know. We we might not even tell anybody. I don't know. I'm not sure, Brian. Well, uh, Brian, go ahead and give out your um, your website's contact information. Uh, and that reminds me, I'm going to have to give an update about my stuff. So, uh, Brian, your website's contact information, please. All right. You can find me on Twitter at overattention. Uh, the website is overattentionshow.com. 
And you can contact me via email at thebandoftime at gmail.com. That said, thanks for joining us. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Facebook and Twitter won't let me sign in. So you're going to see that go stalemate. Um, you know, I opened those back in 2010, 2011. Um, I've only been allowed to have them open a few months at a time, and then they'll shut them down. And Anyway, so um, I'm thinking about doing something else. I, I can still sign into the Tumblr, though. Um, I don't even know. Maybe I'll just go straight to using the blog. I'm not sure for updates. Uh, but until uh, that said time, I will use Deb uh, to communicate with. Um, I will just send her an email, and she will get it out uh, to the rest of the Ecclesia. She proven to be faithful, of course. Um, you know, and me and Brian forget to uh, thank Deb a lot of the times, but all the archives and, you know, the flash drive that is sent, from, you know, house to house to house uh, with all of Brian and I's audio. That's that's all Deb. That's that's not us. Um, wow. Uh, all the shows that would have been lost without Deb. So uh, we are very grateful for Deb. Um, so I'm not sure uh, how it's going to work with the social networking sites. I don't know. I just might decide to be done with them altogether, uh, perhaps. I don't know. But anyway, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be WI2C Radio coming up on uh, Saturday instead of uh, the End Time Tribune. So until then, God bless. Godspeed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.